This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our study on the Acts of the Holy Spirit as we work through the book of Acts. We're into chapter 14, uh, verse 8 is where we pick it up from. Um, But before we go over our notes from last week, we will do the time-honored Christian tradition as we gather uh, to do anything in terms of a religious idea. What is it we do? We pray. Can I have a volunteer to lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for this gathering tonight. Father, I ask that uh, Holy Spirit, you would be in our presence to teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth in this year. And Lord, there are things that are deep, deep mysteries that you're wanting to reveal to us. So Father, I pray for your anointing to be on your servant, mm-hmm. your son and your servant Aaron, to lead and guide this uh, Bible study, and that, Lord, we would walk out of here a changed people, not as we came in. So we thank you for that, and in all things, we lift up the name of Yeshua and Amen. All right, so we've been following um, our heroes, Paul and Barnabas, as they have been ministering in a place called Pisidian Antioch. Okay, they've been sent out from their community in Antioch. And uh, they've ended up in another Antioch, and uh, where he gave a you know, stirring speech focusing on God's redemptive history. Uh, and that's the, some of the things that we had picked up from last week. So in, in um, summary, looking at our sheet here. So after delivering an interesting and provocative teaching during the synagogue service, referencing God's redemptive history, remember that's both... The two main speeches we see from Stephen and Paul, uh, the way that they begin to share about Jesus the Messiah is through uh, an overview of God's redemptive history. Paul and Barnabas are invited to return the following Shabbat. Little is revealed as to what Paul and Barnabas actually do during the week, other than there is a short excerpt of them urging the Jews of the synagogue, note, the community of city in Antioch is mixed, so it already has Jews and Gentiles in it. But when they leave the synagogue, only one people group actually come to talk to them. And uh, so we're talk- we urge the Jews to continue in the grace of God. So then we had a discussion as to why, out of all the terms you might use uh, to encourage the brothers, why would you urge them to continue in the grace of God? as opposed to, say, the fellowship of the Lord, uh, continue in the path of the Messiah, uh, something about Jesus. Okay? But the actual urging here was, would you please consider into the grace uh, of God? So we had a discussion as to why this term, the grace of God, was used, and why only to the Jews of the community in city and Antioch. Why, why are we not talking to the Gentiles at this stage? So everyone remembers that discussion? Okay, so during the week, <clears throat> word seems to have spread around town, and the following Shabbat service, we find a large Gentile crowd attending to hear Paul and Barnabas. And this popularity provokes a jealous reaction from the Jewish people. 
So why do you think they'd be jealous? Text doesn't say. Okay? Perhaps their monopoly on God was endangered. Perhaps they didn't like the idea that there were too many Gentiles. The boundaries were being pushed a little too much for them. They were feeling uncomfortable. We're not sure. Many of us in the Christian world find ourselves jealous of other people's ministries and popularity. And the result of such jealousy can never be good. So in Acts 13, the Jews openly argue against Paul. This results in Paul giving a rebuke to the Jews and a declaration of him turning to the Gentiles with the gospel. He even quotes from the prophet. And uh, the light to the Gentiles is actually finally coming. Okay. Initially, the movement spreads through the region and the, the, all, these, all these names of all these places we're in, it's in the southern part of Galatia, right? which is going to end up getting an epistle written to these people. Um, and the movement spreads, but it prompts an undefined persecution. It says the text says there's a persecution, but it doesn't tell exactly what that, what 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 it entails. Sacred history. That's what the Book of Acts is. Remember, this is sacred history. It's not a gospel. It's not an epistle. So it doesn't have all the information. Sacred history records the Jews inciting wealthy, God-fearing women of the community to enable the persecution, whatever it is. How exactly do they manage to do this? And why do they do it for the wealthy women? We don't know. We are not told. Rabbinic literature does, however, record many conversations between rabbis and wealthy Gentile women, oddly enough. So apparently, during the Second Temple period, in Jewish diaspora, they had begun to influence the Gentile elites, in particular, the wealthy ladies of court. Paul and Barnabas react by leaving the area, shaking the dust off their feet in protest, at which point the episode finishes with a description of them being full of joy and the Holy Spirit. Note, the Holy Spirit has not been previously mentioned in Pisidian Antioch at all. Okay? So we've had the heroes uh, give their spiel two times, and for some reason the Spirit doesn't have any mention until right at the end, simply to say they are full of Him. Okay, great. We had a discussion on, um, so they're full of the Spirit with no recorded action by the Spirit. Discussion on free will and predestination from the <coughs> verse 48. Right? Uh, the verse in 48 in question says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Right? The Greek word there used is... Uh, Tasso, and uh, actually does mean appointed or ordained, strongly implying God's sovereignty. So we had a discussion on the nature of predestination and free will within uh, Jewish tradition, and also within our own. Despite having declared an, int an intention to go to the Gentiles, we find Paul and Barnabas in the synagogue at Iconium. Right? Very next episode, we're back in the synagogue. We are not told the content of the speech. Right? We are just told of its effectiveness. So in, in, in Antioch, we have a nice description of what Paul says. In Iconium, we are told nothing. It divides the community. Paul and Barnabas experience the same reaction in Iconium as in Antioch. Here too, it would appear that the Jewish community turned to the Gentiles in order to gain some added force to their perceived authority. Note, Jesus said he did not come to bring peace, but a sword and divisiveness. 
right? Remember when Jesus was challenged? Um, and he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what was going to happen because of him? A son was going to be against his father, and a daughter was going to be against her mother, right? You know, you think, hang on a second, this doesn't sound very good, but um, you ended up with this idea that people were going to believe in Jesus and almost tear, tear communities apart, which is exactly what you see happening in the book of Acts. And it's exactly what you see happening, in the, in, especially in the Middle East. If an uh, Arab or Jewish person becomes a follower in Jesus, what does the rest of the family do? Usually not very happy about it, yes. It's actually quite a divisive thing. So Jesus was very true when he said, I didn't come to bring peace. It's actually going to hurt believing in me. And so here you see it as well. All right. Opposition ferments again against our heroes. However, this time they react differently than what they did in Antioch. There is no rebuke. There is no dust shaking. Instead, Paul and Barnabas stay and they spend considerable time. It's undefined. It doesn't tell you how long. It is they spend some time with this new community. And the Lord confirms the message through miracles. Again, undefined as to what they are. So there is a marked difference between Antioch and Iconium in this chapter. In Antioch, we have a speech recorded, a verbal rebuke, expulsion and flight, and no miracles. In Iconium, we have no speech recorded, no rebuke, no flight, and we get miracles. So what do we make and learn of this sacred history? What's your initial reaction, guys? You have two, two, two places. One, speech, rebuke, no miracles. Another one, you have no speech, no rebuke, miracles. What do we learn? Do we learn anything? I think Paul learned something. <laughs> yep, I really do. I think he, he probably learned, you know, I think I need to shut my mouth. <laughs> perhaps my initial temperament uh, perhaps isn't exactly the way God wants us to behave. Note, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as filling the apostles, but that is all. That's all you had in this entire chapter. So we know that the Holy Spirit is with the apostles. But he seems to have no actual activity in this chapter at all. When the miracles want to be attributed to somebody, it is the Lord that that is attributed to. Even though the writer of Acts, which is Luke, could easily write the word Holy Spirit because he does so the most in any other book anyway. But for some reason, when it's time to attribute a miracle, he chooses not to say Holy Spirit. And I don't know the reason why. Okay. So... Um, the opposition and persecution against the apostles becomes a violent plot, which is discovered. And it is unclear as to how they discover this. But the result is that Paul and Barnabas flee further afield, which is where we pick them up. Okay. And they head um, a bit further along to a couple of um, Iconian cities uh, named uh, Lystra and Derby. And so we will pick that up. In verse 8. So I'll start verse 8 and we'll go around the table one verse at a, at a time with everybody, and it doesn't matter your version or even language. Okay? In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. 
He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. And he began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. Now outside of the city stood the temple of Zeus, the priests of the temple, in order to honor Paul and Barnabas, brought bulls and wreaths of flowers draped on them to the gates of the courtyard where they were staying. The crowds clamored to offer them as sacrifices to the apostles. He even brought flower wreaths as crowns to place on their heads. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd, shouting, Men, while you're doing this, we too are only men, human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from those worthless things to the living God who made heaven <coughs> excuse me, and earth and the sea and everything in them. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. But he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. And after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for the other. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Easter, Iconium and Antioch. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, for them in each church and with prayers and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through uh, Poseidon, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commenced commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They stared there a long time with the disciples. Alright, okay. So, on a surface, literal first time reading, um, anything there that jumps out that you notice or never noticed before or always notice when you <laughs> read this passage? Terrible mistranslation of verse 23, but I just feel like that <laughs> You had a look at the Greek? Yes. Yes. Well, Peter and John, as they were walking to the temple, healed a lame man, and uh, the Holy Spirit does it again. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So in this case, who do you think it is? Who's the man? He's a Gentile. Yeah. 
What I always find wonderful in this passage is the perception of faith in this man. How did Paul, yep. a little twinkle, a little twitch, a hopeful word, a lifted up countenance? Something. How did Paul see this faith? Yeah. I, we're going to have to ask that question. I mean, the text doesn't say, but there, we, can, we can hazard a few suggestions. And perhaps some of the times those are the good things we should look for in, in each other. All right, so um, we've uh, had to leave Iconium and we've come down to a little bit further uh, south, okay, actually just on the real borders edges of Galatia. In fact, you might not even call it that in some maps. Okay, um, This is not an area of a very strong Jewish presence. So in the, in the first, like in chapter 4, 13 and in chapter 14, where have we found Paul and Barnabas going? Synagogues. To synagogues. Okay. In the, in the, for the rest of this chapter, from 8 onwards, we never find them in a synagogue. Right. So there's no mention of synagogue. So if there's no synagogue, there's a pretty good chance that the commu Jewish community is actually pretty weak. Okay. There's going to be a few other little hints as to as as to uh, the weakness of the of the the Jewish community in those areas, even if there was one, okay. Yes. So it would have been like in a town square or in the streets. That's right. Paul is doing public preaching, and um, the idea of a public preacher is actually a very Greek thing. Okay. Um, you've all heard of the Roman Forum. Yeah, the, the idea is the funny thing about Greek uh, speakers and their, and their uh, teachers and their wisdom is they made it all public. Right? They, nothing was done in secret. Like uh, if a, 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 a master like Socrates had his disciples, he did everything in public. Okay? Um, it just seems to be, and you find, you find Paul now doing the same thing. So in Lystra, in verse 8, there sits a man crippled in his feet. So Luke is very particular to describe the physical ailments of this man. Okay? He's lame from birth and he has never walked. So you get like three, three references to the fact that this man cannot walk. Okay? Crippled, lame from birth, never walked. Right? Okay? And, um, and there's no mention of meeting this guy in a synagogue. So Paul's probably not in a synagogue. He's probably doing his thing out in, in public. Um, and people are listening. It doesn't tell you whether it's a big crowd or whether it's a small crowd or, or how uh, he gets his audience um, or even the time of day. There's, there's no time reference at all in, in, in large parts of the book of Acts. It's not, uh, remember, the book of Acts doesn't tell us everything. And some, you know, when they say it's a history of the early church, mm, it's a history, <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a history of a very small part of the early church. And so, verse nine, he's listening. This this lame man, he's probably got nothing else to do. He probably can't even get away. <laughs> but um, so he's listening to Paul as he was speaking. What was Paul speaking about? Right. 
we, we have no idea what Paul is saying. He, we know his speech previously, but for whatever reason, Luke decides there is no need to re re record what Paul is speaking this time. There's no need to give you his proof texts or verses or how he does it. If he's speaking to a group of Gentiles, how would you imagine him to be speaking? Would it be the same as he would in a synagogue? Right, I would, assume, I would assume the same with you, that he is taking a different tactic. He is probably saying different things. Remember, where is, is Paul from? Tarsus. Tarsus. So he knows how to do this. Right? He's grown up with this sort of... Right, well, they, Gamaliel told him how to do it to Jewish people. Right, so he's got that as well. So here he's employing probably something that he's, he's picked up from his time in, in Tarsus. Could have, yes. <laughs> you know, yep. Yes. So he so he's he's well versed in this, um, but for whatever reason, Luke decides not to record it. It might be Luke doesn't like it. It might be, it's just too long, okay? It might be, Luke didn't understand a word he was saying. He's like, no, I really don't get this guy. <laughs> I, I, liked, I liked Jesus. I liked what you were doing in the synagogues, yeah. Uh, we don't know. Uh, the, the point is that our, 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 our sacred history doesn't need us to know. And maybe it wasn't Paul. Maybe he was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he was being guided. Yeah, look, all those options yeah. are just as valid as anything yes, else because the text is not clear, okay? But whatever he's saying, okay, it's got the attention of the cripple. And then what REA noticed is Paul looks directly at him and he sees that he had the faith to be healed. How? <laughs> Right, this is actually, this little incident here of Paul healing this cripple is actually going to be Paul's first recorded use of his miraculous powers. Okay? While we have a recording inside, um, in, inside uh, Iconium that they did miracles, it doesn't say Paul did it, it doesn't say what he did, and Paul probably was doing them, but this time you actually get... Paul's name and recorded miracle in the, in the same sentence. Right? Is Luke saying this just to show that Paul is as good as Peter? Because Peter did this a few chapters back. Exactly the same yes, thing. he did. Uh, chapter 3, yes. yes. Because they were the two camps. There's the Peter talking to the Jews yes. and Paul talking to the Gentiles. Gentiles and they say, Yes. yes, it could be that in terms of Luke's, you know, writing and, and re not reconstruction, but his the way he records sacred history, he also knows, you know, Acts 15 is coming up and maybe he needs um, something else. OK, he, he might need it. might need to show, hey, look, Paul's just as good as Peter. We're not sure. But it is his first recording of Paul doing anything like this. Okay. Well, he pronounced blindness uh, to the guy before Okay, that, yeah, and then it happened. So, yeah, and so this is in terms of like a healing as opposed to a, a, a curse. But, yeah, you're right, Aria, there is that make the guy. Whereas for Peter, people just fell down dead. <laughs> That's right, so you're not quite as good, okay? It's like, yeah. I mean, Peter can still smite them. I mean, he, all you can do is you know, they bundle around a room. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
They were falling down. Did they ever getting up again? No. I'll go to Paul's. We had that time. Yeah, yeah. I like his tent. Yeah. So how do you think Paul recognizes the faith? What does that mean? You see this guy's faith to be healed. I mean, the text is not clear. So anything that we say is going to be just as valid. Well, maybe he was just telling him about how Jesus was healing people and the guy was going, oh, I can do it too. That's what I want too in my life. And maybe he was just talking about healing of Jesus and let's do an object lesson. Yeah. You're talking to somebody, you should tell people listening or really listening. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. more. I mean, is it interesting that the way the text or the, it records it, he saw his faith to be healed. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. He looked directly at him. Yeah. Um, whereas we give a casual glance. Sometimes. Yeah, maybe. And maybe that's one of our weaknesses is perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's incredible. Here we're talking about Paul. We have no idea what Barnabas is doing or Luke or any of the other companions. Okay. Uh, or how many there are at this stage. The only one thing we do know is definitely that John's not with him. He's already um, hightailed it back to, to Jerusalem. But in our text, Paul looks directly at him, definitely notices this man, and speaks and calls out, uh, stand up on your feet. Right? And, um, and, and, and again, faith in Hebrew is a verb. And so here you see faith in action. What does our man do? He jumps up. Okay? He's never been able to do this. He is now doing something he has never done before. Right? And uh, so he jumps up and he begins to walk. Okay? Um, we see faith in action. All right. So what do, you, what do the locals think? So we have an action and the reaction is, is absolutely nothing what Paul intended. Okay? There was none of this. Um, this is really going to help me with my message. Okay? They're all going to believe what happens. And we now get complete confusion. Right? Um, so we have the miracle. The miracle doesn't actually help. Isn't that interesting? Right? Yeah, so we have miracles that help. Miracles that assist. Miracles like in, in Iconium, where, where it says the Lord confirms the message. Here, the miracle does no such thing, whatever the message was, because we're not told what it was. Okay. What's the reaction? What are they? They think he's a god. They think he's a god, right? which is not what you find so far anywhere else. Okay, we've been doing miracles, or various miracles have been formed but the Greeks don't come along and go wow these guys must be gods so what was it about Lystra that this was their immediate reaction what would be some options yeah there's something in their history and oddly enough there is there's a, um, a Latin poet whose name is um, uh, Ovid, which is very similar to Obed, Ovid, the servant. And uh, he wrote a poem about a story about two gods 
guess who they were? Zeus and Hermes, who came down to visit this city of Lystra and, uh, and they were looking for somewhere that they could go and stay and the town was incredibly rude to them and the only people who would ever welcome them into their home was this old couple. So the gods got really, really upset and wiped the place out. And um, you go, wow, that's a piece of poetry. Oh boy, it's a tragic ending. Um, you know, nothing like a little bit of Shakespeare there to really get you excited. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, if that's part of your oral tradition or part of your literary tradition, um, these guys don't want to miss the next visitation. And so here they see this powerful miracle, okay, this guy who everybody knows has been, cannot walk. And this guy just literally says, stand up on your feet. Wow! Right? See, he calls out. There's no anoint with oil, no gather the, 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 the elders, there's no laying on of hands, there's no prayer, right? There's just get up and the guy does. So their reaction is, oh, Zeus and Hermes are back with us. And so their reaction now is we are not going to miss our new opportunity to appease the gods. <laughs> so the crowd sees, as verse 11, crowds saw what Paul had done. And they shout in the uh, Lyconian language, which um, I guess must be some dialect, local dialect, that they're, that they're there. Well, this is part of Galatia as well, was it not? Yes, it was. So this whole area has been overrun by Gauls recently. Mm -hmm. And they've got the, even Celtic language mixed in with all this. It's quite a, a big old situation. Yep. Yep. So everyone knows where Gaul is from? France. Yes, that's right. We've actually got... Um, I mean, they're not speaking French, okay? They're, but they were Celts. In that they were Celts. They're not, they're not French. No, that's right. Yes, yes, they they're Celts. They're Celts. Right. Yeah, the Franks ends up. Yeah, but these are, these are Celts. And so they're speaking whatever, or they have brought with them this language. So it is a mix. Paul was speaking Greek, presumably. Paul, we presume, is speaking Greek to them, which they can understand. But, um, Yes, there's a lot going on. There's probably even some Latin flowing around there because the Romans have actually conquered this area. Okay, this is, um, um, uh, the, in fact, um, Iconium. What was its uh, official name? Claudiconium, named after Claudius. Okay, so, yeah. Um, but Iconium is what it gets recorded in our text. Uh, nowadays, it's called Konya. Okay, it's a Turkish city, and it's a Iconium has become in Turkish Konya, and where they still what do they do there? Is that right? Interesting. Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. There you go. All right. So anyway, that that's what it's called today, and obviously still in the same spot. Uh, so here you have uh, uh, this language that they that they note. The gods have come down to us in human form. Right? And um, now we have this in verse 12, we have this little interesting switch of uh, names. Normally, who's first now? Paul and Barnabas. And we've been doing that ever since Paul got his name, Paul. But for one brief moment, just here, Luke switches and shoves Barnabas first. Right? And... Uh, yeah, Barnabas, he gets called Zeus, okay. and uh, Paul, they call Hermes, and 
and then they even give you the name, the reason why, okay? Because he was the chief speaker. So, not that I'm very familiar uh, too much with um, Greek uh, mythology, but Zeus is their their pantheon father figure, and uh, Hermes was their messenger. Was he not? Yeah. And they in in Latin, they are Jupiter and Apollo. Is that right? I think. So the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates uh, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Right? So uh, one can assume that this is not an instantaneous thing. So word spreads what's going on. The priest goes and gets his sacred cows. Um, and, and so what can you imagine now is the scene before Paul and Barnabas? Yeah. What would be the scene? It would be a sacred procession. Right? You've got, you know, priests, you've probably got musicians, you've probably got people saying, quick, let's do a, a hymn to Zeus. You know, people are beginning to sing and we've got these people forming this, this procession. So this isn't something that... Um, uh, is now this instantaneous quick, we'll just grab a cow and start um, trying to cut its head off. Um, they really are uh, engaging in, 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 in a form of worship. Because um, this is a, a, too often in, in the Christian world, we view paganism as a very, very dirty word. Yeah. They're pagans. Yeah? They don't know how to do nothing. They're just pagans. But paganism was actually a real religion. These people actually really believed. And they, they really did. Like if I was a sailor and I'm going on, a, on a, a sailing ship, I really do go to a temple and I really think that I'm praying to some god called Poseidon. And I really think that when I pour my little drink offering to him and offer my prayers and light some candle or something, that he actually physically listens. Right? So we, we often sometimes think that pagans didn't believe anything. They actually believed. Right? No, it's just the fact that they did believed in something false doesn't take away from the fact that they believed. And then they had a real form of um, passion and enthusiasm, uh, zealousness, you know, all of those things um, that we might, we might um, ascribe, which we think is a, a something negative and silly. They knew how to throw a parade. And they knew how to throw a parade. Yeah. And, and, and for what it's worth, right, their, their pagan religions you know, we're all over their world. They had temples everywhere, and they had religious festivals, and they had sacred calendars, and, and it contributed to the economy, and uh, it contributed to people's well-being. Okay? Um, you, know, you, you would have people who didn't believe in anything, but you would have people who really did believe. You probably had religious debates. Okay? We know that uh, Greek philosophers did not believe, <laughs> and, uh, and they would often have religious debates, and, and many of them were killed for it. Right? Socrates ended up having to drink poison. Um, why did he have to drink poison? Well, it's a wind of yeah, so, yeah. Well, it's the Holy Spirit who has, a, has only appeared once in this whole text. He's now finally making his... Alright. So, 
the, uh, the priest of Zeus goes and prepares uh, his public form of public worship, his zealous uh, procession. And uh, when the apostles and Barnabas, it says in, in verse 14 that they heard this. But I'm pretty sure they saw it too. Okay, even though it doesn't actually say. Right? They, There's got to be a lot of time that yeah. was here. Yeah, I mean, I could, if you and Rod went into the streets as far as this happened, and then it'd take a while for the people to say, okay, well, that's who they are, and this is who we think they are, and now let's go. Yes. Yeah, there is a lot of time. Uh, we just read in the in last week's reading uh, of uh, Sunday reading was Genesis, where the uh, Abraham gets his visitors, right? And what does he do? He says, "You sit down there, and I'll quickly get you some food." Quickly, you run into the field. You get a guy to go roast a cow. This is not quick. All right, quick. Grab some flour. Knead and make some bread. Oh, quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll just shove them in the microwave. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is... I mean, what, what, yeah. Yes. So you can imagine the guy sitting down there and going, wow. We could have wiped out Sodom and by now come back. No, seriously, man. <laughs> um, yeah, time, time becomes a little different in, in literature. Just like it does in, in the literature we read today and in movies. You always notice that the uh, journey to get to a place is like three quarters of the film. But, but when they turn around and come back, it's like five minutes. Right? And you go, wow, that's amazing how quickly they... They do, yeah. And, and, and time here is also... They got acts as a story to tell us. And, and time is, is interesting. We don't know what Paul and Barnabas are doing at this stage. We don't know if there's any more healings. If that was the only one. Or are they having now to explain themselves? Are people walking up going, how, how did you do that? Oh. So, all right. So when Paul and Barnabas, uh, oh, sorry, when the apostles, again, notice Barnabas and Paul. So we've still got Barnabas being the, the guy in front at the moment. Uh, heard this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting. So why do you think Luke switches the word order? Just for this time. Why, why would you think that Luke switches the word order? So prior to Paul's name change, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Saul changes his name to Paul once we get Paulus, the, the Cyprus governor, saved. And it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Now for just this little incident, it's Barnabas and Paul. Zeus was a greater god than Hermes. Yeah, it's very possible that Luke also knows his Greek mythology and uh, the big guy is Zeus. It could be that in terms of the reaction, Barnabas goes first. Barnabas noticed the what, what was actually going on first. And he was the first guy to tear his clothes. He was the first guy to start shouting, oh, what are you doing? And Paul, you know, he's too busy talking to people, you know, um, trying to... You know, explaining what he's done or he's very enthusiastic that he's actually got an audience you know, that aren't trying to kill him right now. <laughs> um, new experience for him. Um, and so they, they rush it down uh, to try and stop this procession. Men. Right? Good old uh, uh, initial description of people. Why are you doing this? We too. We're just men. Human, just like you. And we bring you good news. Great. What is the good news? 
Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, all right. So that's the good news. Right. So um, one would expect then that we might see within their talking or their speeches uh, a mention of Jesus. We bring you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. So what are, what are the worthless things? Zeus and Hermes. Yeah, is it? Yeah. And the other And all the other fellas. Um, and what else? This sacrifice. Yeah. No, you, you don't need to do this. This ain't going to do nothing for you. It's certainly going to do nothing for me. Unless you, like, maybe cook it. <laughs> okay. Now, um, yeah, I have a question. Would the, what seems to be a very Jewish thing of carrying in clothes, would the Greeks have understood that? principle is that something done in their culture also that's a good question um i don't know with it, it it for whatever reason in this set section uh, 13 and 14 we've had various physical uh things that you do with your clothing one is you shake your dust off your shoes and the other one you, you tear 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 your clothes do the greeks do that i don't know um i'm going to assume Yes, but I don't know. And, and the reason I assume yes is um, I, I've, read, I've read some things like the Iliad and uh, the Odyssey, and I, I don't know exactly, but I think I remember people tearing their clothes or at least changing the colors of their clothes when hearing that their children have died in battle. I don't know if that's actually... Does anybody else read the Iliad? No, when, when, when um, Odysseus doesn't come home, his dad does something. No, okay, I can't remember. Yeah, no, I can't remember. It's something about clothing. Uh, anyway, here we've had dust off our feet and the other, and now we're ripping our, ripping our clothes. But <clears throat> we're just humans, so we want to give you the good news, which we've just said is Jesus the Messiah. Okay, he's the, re he's the resurrection. And uh, we want you to turn away from these worthless things, which... We can imply our, you know, all of these bells and smells that you're running around here with uh, these bulls and, and uh, incense things and, and uh, false gods of Zeus and Hermes. But we want you to turn to the living God, okay? something that's actually real and alive. And, and, and his description, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. The end of verse 15, is, that, is he quoting somewhere from the Old Testament? Because that's word for word in English anyway, but in the Jewish Shakari prayer. Yes. In English, word for word. Yeah. Well, the, 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 he's the, the God of the heaven and earth who made the sea and all that is in it. Yeah, that's actually a psalm, Psalm 124, which is, um, yes, one of the prayers you pray first thing in the morning. Yeah. It's the acknowledgement of God as creator. So, here's Paul. Uh, so, actually, Paul Barnabas, who's actually speaking here? Uh, uh, we're not quite sure which one it is. Um, and we bring you good news. And what's the good news? Yeah, I know we keep saying that, but do they mention it? Oh, they don't. 
we, well, they don't. The actual text of what they say, nothing to do about Jesus. What's their actual message content? Kingdom of God. There is a creation. Yes. Where's who's that? Voice from the fear. Yeah, <laughs> Maxine. Yeah. They. The, his his discussion is there is a living God, and this living God made the world. Okay. So his message is creator. His message is about creation. His, ne- his message is the natural order, the thing you actually can physically see. Paul mentions this a few times as well, right? In some of his epistles. Hmm? Yeah, they got it. That's right. It's, imagine if his message had been, we're going to tell you about a guy who resurrects. They're like, what? <laughs> well, what are you talking about? In verse 23, however, they, they, the text says they committed them to the Lord. And, yes. And to the Lord... That is correct. There's no lack of Jesus the Lord in this. Right. But here at the moment, here at the moment, right, when we're talking to trying to stop this procession, okay, with all these Greeks. Sure. Yep. We don't we on right on the spot, our our message content is natural revelation. Right? We're talking about the creator and king of the universe. All right, and uh, so there's no no yet mention of Jesus. They didn't start with Jesus. Yes, we're going to finish with him, but you don't start your message with him. Sometimes, as missionaries, all we want to talk about is Jesus, 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 and wonder why people never never listen. Perhaps sometimes we do need to modify our initial thrust and you know get to so Jesus. Talking about things they've been familiar with. Talking about things they're familiar with. Yeah, Everything. right. Exactly. And that the natural world around them. Yep. They would be able to identify with what he's saying by the natural word around him. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here it's uh, definitely a, a, the, a creation idea that God uh, makes heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Um, and in the past, he let all nations go their own way. That's an interesting um, description of human history. <laughs> yes. Right? As opposed to, world went bad, and then he gave a flood, all right, and then he wiped you guys out in Sodom and Gomorrah. No, he, all nations have gone their own way. Okay, and uh, and yet, he says here, he has not left himself without a witness, without a testimony, without some way to reveal himself to these nations whom he has let go. Okay. I mean, um, sounds like Hebrews one What is in Hebrews one one through three? Yeah. He has not left himself without testimony. So how? What's his testimony? How does God reveal Himself to these nations, according to Paul and Barnabas in this text? He has shown kindness by giving you what? Rain. And. Crops. Crops, food. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So, how does God, according to this little section, reveal himself to the pagans? Why? Something greater than them is giving them all that they need, but they haven't got a name for it. Controls nature. Yeah, well, he controls nature. Not the gods. And he meets their natural. He meets their natural needs. Yeah. It says, God lets you guys go, 
But you know what? He was never far away from you because he was giving you rain. He was letting your crops grow. He was letting your herds. Uh, God has been taking care of you. Yeah, this is what he's saying. So, yes, it's, God is giving a blessing. And who's he giving a blessing to? Bunch of pagans. <laughs> okay. So let's discuss that vis-a-vis prosperity gospel. That says, what, is the, what does the prosperity gospel imply? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to get a blessing. Here you have something completely the opposite of that, where God says, look, God hasn't been uh, uh, revealing himself to you through miracles, things, but he's been there and he's been giving you a witness to himself by actually blessing you. And they haven't called on the name of the Lord. They haven't given their lives to Jesus to get a blessing. They're simply getting a blessing. But his kindness leads to But he's been doing this for thousands of years. And this is a very, very long repentance. <laughs> um, and so you know, whole generations will have passed by with God, just loving people despite the fact that they're in the belief that there's lots of gods up there. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? Is, uh, and so, um, I think sometimes we've just got to be a very gentle with people who don't believe the same things as us, because God loves them too. And we have the truth, and Paul and Barnabas are going to tell them the truth, and they are going to lead people to Jesus. But in this case, right, um, you know, in the previous couple of cities, um, Paul can be a bit direct, but here he's he's being actually a little bit more gentle, and um, and and so God is actually given, given these guys as a, a witness to to these pagans by blessing them. Um, Eighteen, even with these words. They still had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Okay? Despite the fact that they... I mean, they didn't just plan out say no or walk away right? you know, um, or leave the scene of the crime. They, uh, they, they, they do their best to continue to engage. And I guess the text kind of implies that they managed to succeed. Right? Um, but uh, we'll see. Verse 19... Um, what, do, what do we find next occurring? <coughs> yeah, rabble rousers has arrived. Yeah. Guess how far um, Antioch and Iconium are from Lystra and Derby? Four days. Okay, it's a hundred miles away. So yeah, you could probably hop on a horse and be there in two days. Okay, but most most Jewish people didn't ride horses. Uh, and so you got a four-day journey away. So this is not something that goes, and immediately while they were talking to the crowd, these Jews suddenly appeared and um, uh, and started causing trouble. Right? Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So what does this imply? It implies that there's not a very strong Jewish presence in Lystra. Right? The local Jewish people are not even mentioned. As, as causing any trouble. Now you've actually got people chasing them from their previous uh, uh, haunts. Okay. It, did, 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 uh, how, how long is the time gap? We actually don't know. 
Okay? It could be that um, Paul and Barnabas fled those places and within hours they were chased. Okay? It's possible. Okay? Um, or it could be that it took a bit of time for word to go back to Antioch and, and uh, Iconium to say, hang on a second, Zeus and Hermes have appeared. Really? Oh, those two guys? Are they causing trouble again? We better go down there and sort these guys out. Okay? So that in which case, now suddenly, it's, it's over a week. Okay? So we do not know time. Time is not uh, as important in, some, in, in our versions of sacred history. So some Jewish people come from Antioch and Iconium, the, the opposers, and they uh, win the crowd over, which is Gentile. How do they do it? We don't know. We don't know whether they gave a great oratory, whether they, um, uh, what they said, or what type of lie. Who the disciples they're talking about? Ma'am? Who are the disciples they're talking about? Don't know. They're just unnamed people. Yeah. So it's, there's a team of people. We don't know if Paul and Barnabas have picked others up along the way or whether these are local. We don't even know the time difference. Like the, 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 this could be a couple of weeks have gone past. We, we could be in a situation where Paul and Barnabas and a small, very small group of Jewish uh, emissaries have now found themselves in charge of 50 to 60 Gentiles. Going, wow, boy, we've got a lot of work cut out. Because these guys don't know anything. They don't go to synagogue. They don't read the Torah. They don't know what the Torah is. They just know that, boy, by the power of God, you can make, make lame people move. We don't know. We have no clue. Okay, what we do know is that the, the crowd is stirred up against them, and we're not told how they would do it. Any ideas? Any ideas of what uh, lies the uh, Antiochans and the Lyconian Jews could, could say? To a bunch of Gentiles who think that these guys are gods, <coughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I, I sometimes think, okay, I wonder what, wonder what they would have said. You're gonna mess up your yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That one, yeah, that one works. You know, you're gonna to have to let those bulls go. Isn't that a real shame? Yeah, my gosh. And uh, let me tell you about a country called India. So what, what do they end up doing? It actually gets violent. Right? They stone Paul. What, what about Barnabas? <laughs> Remember, it's been Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. All of a sudden, let's whack Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said he was the speaker. Yeah, yeah, so Paul's the speaker. Yeah, they'll whack him. So they stone Paul, and they drag him outside of the city thinking he's dead. Okay, so now in Jewish tradition... Um, how do you stone people? Throw stones at them at their head. All right. Okay. So we, we, the, the tradition is we think that they throw stones at, at their head. We actually have a physical description of how they do it. Okay. Sorry. They, the, 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 if you can do it the way you, that they should... You're, okay, they, they have a, right. the, obviously, obviously not, it's not always going to be on this well, but the official way is you're supposed to take the guy to a hole, which is several meters tall, and you throw him in. And, and he's supposed to be stunned by the fall. 
there's a guy in the pit, okay, waiting. And he comes over and the first thing he does is he checks to see if the guy's actually alive. Right? And if he's still alive, they go, okay, dang it, now we really actually have to kill him ourselves. Mm. And so he is going to throw the first stone. Right? There's a bunch of witnesses standing at the top. And the way he does it is he has a rock. And guess which part of the body he hits? Hits your heart. They don't hit your head. Because in Jewish tradition, where do you love God with? Your heart. They smash. You, what they do is they actually have you you're on your back. They actually smash your, your chest in from your back. So think of what they've just done to Paul. They think he's dead. So what have they done? They've got a big rock and they've smashed his back in. Now is this tabloid? I mean, is there, where would we find that information? Um, yes, I think it's in the Talmud somewhere. One of our sessions here, I brought the piece of paper and I read it out. Okay. Um, how how they did it. Um, so if you, but I can't remember which one it was. Ah, it would have been the stoning of Stephen. Would have been that incident. So I would have done the research on on that one. So they they haven't smashed his head in, but they've smashed his chest in. Well, they think they have. Okay, they're trying to crush his heart, as a very way that we're doing it. And they think he's dead. And, but then in verse 20, you do get that interesting description of these guys called the disciples. We don't know who they are, don't know how many they are, don't know where they came from. Right. But after the disciples had gathered around him, got up. Okay. Right, so um, the disciples gather around him. Um, what would they most likely have been gathering around him to do? Probably bury the guy. Right? Yeah. And uh, he gets up and he goes back into the city. What's not mentioned? Time. Or even if this was a miracle. Like if this actually was a physical miracle, wouldn't Luke record it as um, you know his back was smashed in you know that he's, uh, but don't worry the Holy Spirit came along and knitted everything back into order and he got up and went okay and he was off right uh, we don't get we don't know how this happened again the sacred history just does not give us those kinds of details it could have been could have been a miracle or you could have had Paul somehow struggle to get up he's hurting like crazy and he's you know dragging himself in into into the city that's so in series of trying to kill him because you know he really didn't do much wrong did he no <laughs> you know, as the, the accuser throws the first stone is that true <coughs> the person who accuses him throws the first stone that's, that's i'm not 100% sure I'm not sure the witnesses throw stones if the, the, the main guy, the executioner, hasn't managed to kill him. So they hit him in the back, check him, and if he's still not dead, then everybody else who's above, who's the witness, throws. But that's, that's the way you, you do it if that's the way you can do it. But most executions couldn't do it that way. They didn't have a big pit, they didn't have anywhere to go, so they would just hold the guy's arms and legs out like this, while another guy would just whack him with a stone in the back. 
Okay. Aaron, what is the connection between you've got a guy who is laying who stands up? Yeah. And you've got Paul who basically is made paralytic, incapacitated in some form. And he stands up. Yeah. So there's a connection between the immediate and the standing, at least in my translation, of both there's immediate and standing. Yep, that's the, the, I, I don't know what the connection is. I don't know what Luke would be trying to, to say. Um, there's definitely no mention of a miracle like there is with the, the lame man. So that's what I was getting at. I wonder if Luke's insinuating that there's a miracle here. That there's two miracles here, yeah. both similar. Yeah. I would say that there is a miracle. I would say, like, you know, they, they smashed him up. And, but, but why there's no mention of it, I don't know. No, no, no clue. But, um, the disciples gathered Could have been. There could have been. Yeah, the disciples could have been. You know. Yeah, they all laid hands on him, and let's just give it a go, guys. And uh, yeah, but we don't. We, we don't. Right? Um, we don't know where these disciples uh, come from or what they do afterwards. But the next day, uh, he, Paul and Barnabas. Now we're back to the that word order again. Um, they, they leave for the next city, which is even more further uh, south. And, um, and how much information do we get about Derby? We have one sentence. Precious little. <laughs> Precious little, yes. They preach the good news, which is what? We, we get, we get, Jesus is the Messiah. He rose from the dead, right? Okay, uh, in that city, but so far we haven't heard them actually say that. Okay? And they won a large number of disciples. Great. And then that's it. That's all your one one sentence. That's all the information we have of uh, that little sojourn in this place. We don't get a recording of a miracle. We don't get a recording of how long they stay there. Uh, we don't get a recording of their speech. We don't get a recording of any opposition. Um, there's none of it. It's just they go there, they preach, they make disciples. On to the next place. Okay. Um, remember, sacred history doesn't need to tell you all the details. But we've got a pretty long, uh, I assume, representative sermon in the previous chapter, chapter 13. It could be that that's what he's always been saying. Covered lots of bases. I don't imagine the message was that dramatically different. Um, it would have changed between synagogue and non-synagogue. Yeah. So, like, in the, in the non-synagogue, we've seen him talk about the, the God as creator. That's his, his, his speech. And we, saw him later, we see him later in Athens uh, preaching the resurrection. He doesn't preach the crucifixion, but he preaches the resurrection, resurrection. which is at the heart of the gospel and all of the yeah. speeches in Acts. Yeah, because that is the good news. Messiah rose from the dead. That's the good news. So they return to uh, Lystra. Now they go back to the city where they just got their back smashed in. Then they go to Iconium and Antioch. And so it's very quick. Yeah, the return journey is, is fast, just like it is in the movies. And it says in verse 22, they strengthen the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the, to the faith. How do they strengthen the disciples? What would be, just in your mind, again, it's not in the text. So if, if they came 
on a return visit and they came to our house and and they wanted to strengthen our faith, what do you what do you imagine they would say? We can do it too. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible that that's exactly what they said. Okay. Paul could say, you know, last time I was in the city, I had my, my, my body was all smashed in, but God healed me. Look what, what's going to happen to you guys. Um, I'm sure. Hardships and uh, tribulation. I'm hurting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because that's because that's actually what what it actually says later on. It is the message. Yeah. So yes, it's like we're going to strengthen the brothers, you know. And you go. I'm feeling better already. Yeah. There, there isn't, as you can see, there isn't the message of you know if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be well. And you will have a nice big house, and uh, you're going to win the lottery, and you know you're going to have a golden chariot. Okay, um, um, what you end up getting is they do encourage them to remain true to the faith. So there is this; they've got something called the faith. Okay, we don't know what texts they're using. Right, this is a Gentile community. What Bible do they possibly have? We have no clue, right? Because if you were in a synagogue, you would have a Greek Septuagint. But if you're a Gentile, more than likely you don't have a Greek Septuagint just lying around your house. Okay? You certainly don't have a gospel. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not there. Okay? And so imagine what, what text this early, early community has. Is that okay? Didache is not here yet. Not yet. Nope, yet. Nope. They have the letter of Christ written and known by all men standing in front of them. Whoa, unpack that one for a moment. <laughs> they were disciples. They were ambassadors of Christ. They represented him. They imitated him and told them to imitate them just as they imitate Christ. Yep. The message got through, obviously. Yeah. So Paul comes along and he says, I'm doing the things that Jesus told me to do. So I'm now going to tell you to do the things that I'm doing. Because I'm imitating Jesus. That's a word of mouth. Well, in, in which epistle is the one where he says, imitate me? It's in Corinthians. Corinthians, right? He says, you know, even as I imitate Christ. Right. It's imitate, not follow. Yes. We follow Christ and imitate other, other, other believers. Other yes. So perhaps by strengthening the disciples, yeah, he doesn't need a gospel. What he needs is to say, be like me. Mm. Right? So he's got them all in a room. This is what I do. And there's the reasons why I do it. I'm doing the things that Jesus does. But this is what I do. This is what, how I physically behave. They might have asked him questions like, well, what happens when we do this? And what happens when we do that? And, and they create a little bit of uh, halakha, for want of a better word, a community rule or some sort of order. Okay? We don't know what sort of services they would have had if they begun to have them. Uh, We're talking 2 Corinthians 3, then 1 and 2. Is that where Paul says, imitate me? Well, they come in our lives, or a letter written and seen of all men. That, there's a different passage, I believe, in 1 Corinthians, but that was, yes, that's used Christ's letter as well. Yep. So we strengthen them and encourage them to, to, to remain true to the faith. And here's how they, you know, the, the big verse that we get given as to how they're encouraging everybody. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Oh, okay. And, um, uh, and, and that, but you, you see that, again, not only through the life of Jesus but in, uh, and in the teaching of Jesus, but also obviously uh, replicated through Paul where uh, they say suffering produces perseverance, character and hope. But that very first word is <coughs> suffering. Okay? It's not a message we normally like to hear. Right, welcome to the team. Get ready to suffer. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I might want to leave now. But there was something about the, the final goal, the hope, that made that suffering worthwhile. Yeah, the telos, the goal, the, the, the hope that it was actually all actually worth it. And, um, you know, this idea of hardship to enter the kingdom of heaven. He mentions the kingdom of God there, so he must have had to explain what the kingdom. He would have had to have explained, yeah, the kingdom of God. So yes, he would have done. So we're not sure all the time frame here. We're not sure how long uh, there is. I'm going to suggest it wasn't an overnight visit. Okay, you know, he's actually had some time with these guys, and um, and we don't have a clue whether. Uh, well, I'm also suggest that perhaps. Um, they would have put an order in to get themselves a couple of copies of the Bible. <laughs> okay? Um, you know, you probably should start reading what God said. Um, verse 23, what's everybody's got as a translation? What's yours uh, down there, REA? Well, I don't like the translation. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, like, I like the note. Oh, footnote. what's it say? Well, the footnote says, or had elders elected. Yes. It's not had even, it says... Elected elders with them is what the text says yeah. in Greek. Yeah, so Paul and Barnabas, and then they do this word, okay, uh, which is a chero ton toneo, okay, um, which uh, has something to do with your hands, right? It's the extension of hands to, yep. to, to conduct an election. Correct. Right. So, yes, there, there are, that's right. So, the, the re there are two ways that people are reading this. One is people are raising their hands up and saying, who's going to be our elders? Take your hands up. The other one is they laid hands on them, which is the, re the way most translations take it. Okay. It goes back to the King James. Yes. He imposed the authoritarian hierarchy on numerous contexts that are not in the Greek text. Right. Well, they also have uh, who got their hands laid on them before being sent out. Barnabas in Antioch and also in Acts 6. So there are there is a tradition that, that they do that. So you can see why some most translations do actually run the way of the King James. However, the Greek literally means they stuck their hands up. Okay? So they um, have an election. This word appears in the New Testament twice. The other one is very clearly a, a choice of the people in which Paul tells the Corinthians to choose the emissaries they will send to me with me to Jerusalem. Yeah. It's a public choice. It's also the same thing with Edafe, which is the only earliest instruction. It says, elect your elders. Elect your elders. You choose your elders. Yep. So that's what they do. They get the community together and they say, as a group, who's going to be looking after you guys? Okay. And elect for yourselves. And this is the other thing that they do. The uh, pres, uh, presbyteros. Okay. Elder. Um, that same word is the same thing you describe members of the Sanhedrin. Okay? That, 
that word, the elder, the presbyteros, uh, is, is anybody who's sitting uh, over you, whether it's members of the Sanhedrin, whether it's your elders, or whether it's your shepherds, or whatever you want to call them, okay? They're also the same as the Episcopals, they're the same people. Yeah, they're a different word. Right. Yeah, and so um, the, the overseer, for want of a better word. Okay, but that's that's what the they, literally the episcopos is. But the Sanhedrin were also called presbyteros. Okay, so they elect them as a group. So, what do you think would be the characteristics that a community would vote for their leader? What would be some of the characteristics they might look for? I mean, the text doesn't say, but what would you assume? Here you have a community, brand new believers couple of weeks old okay some of us have seen some miracles Paul as well is a walking miracle and um, we're getting together to vote on who should be our boss who would you choose a wise man but have someone who actually knows how to read and write and uh, yeah got some respect yeah you, you wouldn't choose the 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 ex homicidal axe-wielding maniac yeah, you can know you know the members of your community because of the way that they behave, and uh, and stuff like that. And so they appoint for them in each of their communities, and with prayer and fasting. Okay, notice again in the early church, those two things go together, and many, many, many people who who come to Israel who say, "I want to be just like the early church." And you go, I don't think you do. <laughs> um, because um, usually when you tell people you should do some fasting, they don't like that idea. Uh, but here, they, they, they elect among themselves. doesn't tell you how long it takes for their process to work out. Okay? What they're not doing is they're not drawing lots like we did way back in Acts chapter 1. Okay? Um, and prayer and fasting, they commit them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And uh, the Greek word there is the Lord, right? The, the idea of this is actually Jesus. So as while we start the conversation with God as creator, we end the, the conversation with Jesus as Lord. Right? And then we get their description of how they journey um, home. They go through Pisidia, they go come to Pamphylia, to Pamphylia, where they had preached the word in Attilia, uh, so Perga, they went down to Attilia. You have these, this journey, and a little hint that they could actually do a little bit of preaching as they go. What does the text not tell us? Like, what's absent now on the return journey? There's no opposition. Right? We, there's no, there's no, we went into the synagogue and we caused a fuss again. We went into town, they all remembered us and they chased us away again. Or we went into town, I met a demon, slew him, but then still got my, my head smashed in with a rock. You know? um, we don't get any of those descriptions. It's just um, this sort of very rushed uh, back to base. Uh, and they go back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Because that's what um, Paul had urged the Jews of, of uh, um, Antioch. To, to be, continue in the grace of God, the chesed, the, the, the loving kindness of God. 
and uh, where they had been committed to the loving kindness of God. Uh, and um, and the God's, we were committed to the loving kindness of God. What happened to Paul? Was that loving and kind? Not in, in a way perhaps we would assume. But on one hand it still is, isn't it? Isn't one of those strange ideas that suffering for the Lord is, can be counted as a blessing somehow. Okay, and so they arrive, they gather the community together in verse 27, and they report all that God had done through them. Okay, notice the word, you know, is absent here. Who, they don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, which is a tendency in amongst the, the church today. We like to tell everybody about what the Holy Spirit has been doing. Right? And, the, and uh, the great powers and things that the Spirit has been doing. But here, everything that God has done. Right? And how he has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Remember, who is the community of Antioch? Jews, Jews and? Jews. Correct. This, this is the, in, in Acts 11, this is where we get the first, um, uh, apart from Acts 10, where Peter does it to Cornelius, but in Acts 11, you have Gentiles and Jews uh, worshipping together. And Paul doesn't start the process. It's unnamed... Uh, Jews from Libya and Cyprus who do all of that. Paul, by this stage is still called Saul, he's brought in to shepherd this new community. So he's been shepherding this community for over a year before he's sent out with, with Barnabas. Now he's come back with a brand new name and, uh, and we're back with a nice little group of uh, Jews and Gentiles and um, which is wonderful. And in verse 28, the last verse of, of Acts 14, it says, they stayed there for a long time. Once again, does not tell you the time difference. Doesn't tell you what they did. Just, they stay there now. Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we do get a, one small adjective. Okay. Yeah. And with, without explaining what needs to be done, but they returned to Antioch. Antioch had sent them out. Antioch had prayed over them. The Holy Spirit, remember, spoke through that community. And said, separate for me, Paul, Barnabas and Saul. Which was an interesting discussion. Remember the Spirit saying, separate for me. And then they fasted and prayed, and laid hands on them, sent them out. The community, the Holy Spirit works with the community. So we can assume that the community had a responsibility to, to Paul and Barnabas. Which would have been what? To them. Yes, and? Provide for them provide for them okay then they come back and they give a report okay look you prayed for us you sent us out you paid for the ship journey it's fantastic this is what actually happened guys we did this this and this, this and you're like wow that's awesome praise the lord and then they stay there they don't we don't know what else happened what what do you think might have happened the text doesn't say so anything we come up with is fair game Okay, we've just planted a whole bunch of churches in Asia Minor. What would be, and you've come back to the, the host church, just planted a whole bunch of churches in Asia Minor. Fantastic. Now what do we do? Pray. Pray? Be refreshed. Be refreshed. Say so you have a bit of a holiday, a bit of a refreshment. Be healed. Be healed, yeah. Paul's got a back issue. <laughs> They'd all be strengthened because they knew what they had done to Paul. Fruit, and that's all not yep. quite what they did themselves, what they sent Paul out. Okay. So, be encouraged by it to do more. Mm -hmm. What else? 
give testimony and witness. Sure, do a bit of that. Yeah, what else? Okay, this new community in Derby, which we got one sentence from, okay, they don't have a Bible. What are we going to do? Let's go get them a Bible. <laughs> so let's go back and make sure they got a Bible now. Right? We don't know, but it, 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 it's not a far stretch. The text doesn't say. So what I'm about to say could be A, a load of rubbish, most likely is, but B, it could be true. The community could have said, well, they didn't send Paul and Barnabas back, but they could have sent somebody else. Said, hey, who's going that way? Said, go visit the brothers in this town. They live on this street. Uh, here's a letter to them from, from us. In fact, here's a couple of Bibles. They've got one in Latin, we've got one in Aramaic, we've got one in Celtic, you know, or whatever. You know. <laughs> um, uh, we're, talk, we're, we're still talking scrolls. Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah, rolled up, yeah. It's a, hey, we, got some, we got some, you know. Um, they might have even had the beginnings of what we call a, 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 a gospel. They might have like a few stories about... Um, about the teaching of Jesus, or the beginnings of the Didache, right? So you know, let's 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 write a letter and, and say we don't have those documents as as such, but it's not a far stretch that communication now begins with these groups. They don't leave them on their own. Fifties or sixties? What are you what are you saying as far as Most people put it at 47, 47 48 because because Acts fifteen is forty eight, right? Um, and some have even said that Paul writes Galatians now to these people before Acts 15. Why? Because he doesn't mention Acts 15. He doesn't mention the the episode that uh, that. And, the, and, the, and the, the encyclical that's sent out by the community in Jerusalem. Yet that pertains to the issue that's going on in Galatia. Because remember, some parts of their community are a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And some of them are just straight down the line Gentiles. Well, the, the crucial question is when Paul went up to Jerusalem after 14 years, if that was or was not kind of the combat in Jerusalem after 15 yeah. Yeah. So depending on where you put your your time history, depends on where um, different uh, uh, letters are written. The traditional, like 50 years ago, people believed that Thessalonians is his first works. Now people are starting to think, oh, actually, it looks like Galatians is his first work, and it could be that it comes after this incident. We're back in Antioch. People are going back and forward to the churches. They come back and report. And Peter's like, what? That's what they're doing now? And he writes. Well, there had been some emissaries come from Jerusalem, so yep. it certainly has not happened yet at this point in the narrative. Yeah, in, the, in, our, yeah, in our version. Okay. All right. So next week, we begin that, that issue that we thought we had defeated in Acts 11 had not gone away. It had, it had never actually disappeared. And 2,000 years later, still Maxie might be here. Uh, it's a tough one, yes. And but it's time to wrestle with it. So Acts 15 and the Council of Jerusalem is our next um, topic. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. 
You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.